Hey there, and welcome to the Just Keep Blogging podcast. I'm Kim Anderson from KimAndersonConsulting.com, and I'm here to give you a regular dose of blogging adrenaline. Hi, Jamie. Thank you so much for being on the Just Keep Blogging podcast. I really appreciate you taking time out of your like crazy busy schedule to talk to us. But um, I know there's a lot of questions that you can answer. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, Jamie and I met, I believe we met at a type A event um, a few years back. I probably met there, but then I think we got to know each other at the type A mastermind retreat that we were on. Yes, that was a good one. Yeah, it was. I think that might have even been the first one they had. <laughs> yes, so, I think it was actually. Um, but it was really fun getting to know you. And I was so excited about all the like things you had cooking. And now they're like, like alive <laughs> and, <laughs> and out there. So um, tell us a little bit about what you guys started Sure. I'm, I'm incredibly excited too. So um, I have uh, two businesses. Uh, well, first, my, um, my name is Jamie Lieberman. So some people may know me who've, um, who are listening, because I know that we definitely have run in the same circles. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have two businesses. One is called Hashtag Legal. And that is a law firm. And we specialize in what I call my first love, which is influencer marketing. Um, and we also work with pretty much anyone with kind of an online presence or some kind of digital business. Um, but influencer marketing is really where my first love comes from. Um, my other business is Businesses. Um, the two businesses go hand in hand. And in Businesses, we have downloadable legal forms. They're like do-it-yourself forms. And those are specific for bloggers and influencers. Um, so we have, say, sponsored content contract if you're working with a brand. We have um, privacy policies. Uh, you name it. We've got a, a ton of stuff on there. Um, and I work with a business partner, Danielle Liss, which some some people may know as well. Um, and so those are our two businesses. Yeah. And I was so excited to hear about businesses because, like, I can't tell you how many hours, like, I spent online you know, trying to understand how to put together a privacy policy the right way, um, you know, and how to put together contracts for, you know, because blogging is kind of a unique thing, right? Like, it, it's kind of a new, new thing. Um, not necessarily new, but like new in the business world. So it's hard sometimes, you know, when a brand reaches out to you, or you want to pitch to a brand, and they don't already have like a blogger agreement in place. You know, you want to make sure that you're covering yourself and you're covering your, what you're supposed to be doing. So I was really, really excited when I saw that because uh, the other side of it is having those DIY legal forms that are affordable and accessible is kind of a big deal. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we you are right. I, there's just not a lot of uh, resources, I think, out there um, or even, frankly, lawyers or the downloadable forms that actually understand what bloggers mm -hmm. do. Um, and since Danielle and I both have a background in blogging, it just kind of made sense. And that's why we love it so much. Yeah, I was so excited. I just can't express like <laughs> because you really do like you spend hours and hours trying to figure this stuff out and even when you call lawyers they're like I don't really like know what you're talking about so um, it's just great to know that there is a resource out there finally um, who knows what they're talking about and live in the blogging world so okay so to kick this show off you know one of my main objective is to help people 
understand, right? Like that's a big component. And I think one area that people really struggle understanding is copyright. So can you explain what it is, how it works first? Sure, I certainly can. So copyright is definitely one of those huge topics that people get really overwhelmed with. So I'm going to try to break it down um, into some manageable pieces. Essentially, anytime that you put a work of art, an original work of art, um, into what the copyright laws call a tangible medium, you have a copyright. And what that means is you've created something, you've taken a picture, you've written a blog post, and you put it somewhere. You either took that picture, you wrote it down in a notebook, you put it on your website, you have a copyright. You have a common law copyright. And what that means is people can't use your original work. And original is important. The standard for originality is not very high. It's not like you have to have this new idea, but it can't be copied from somebody else. Um, and so as long as you've done that, you have copyright protection. So that means that someone can't come and take your photograph and put it up on their website. Um, they have to ask your permission. And so you don't have to do anything else other than write it down, take the photo. That's all you have to do to get what's called common law copyright uh, protection. And so a lot of people sort of get confused about what they can and can't do. And so my number one piece of advice for people is if you're looking to protect your own copyright, you actually don't have to do anything but put it out there. But if you want, you can always put a copyright symbol and you can always put a copyright notification on your website. And if you are looking to use somebody else's work, always ask permission. That's okay. the pretty much baseline. I want to insert this here because this is something that like pisses me off so much <laughs> <laughs> is in your like WordPress, for example, like you can see who's linking to you, right? Mm -hmm. And you, if you go and you kind of look at what they're doing, it's one of those situations like where they rip off one of your pictures and then they put a link to it. And that's all that's on the website. Like there's, it's all their ads. There's no article. It's just like a title and your picture and your link. Right. But I also think that like, there's also a part of us who have gotten into this whole um, world of roundups. And mm -hmm. so I also want to suggest like, and I, I think you're in agreement with that. Like if you're going to take somebody's Pinterest image or whatever, like be sure that you reach out to the author if you're going to do a roundup based kind of post and ask them permission to use those images before you just start grabbing them and putting them in roundup posts, right? Absolutely. Um, it's it, If you're just using a link, that's fine. If right. you're just linking to someone, you can do that. But if you're going to use any portion of their image or take a large portion of a post, you have to ask permission. Um, and frankly, a lot of bloggers decide they want to give that permission because it benefits them. Right. Um, but as a blogger, you don't have to give that permission. You can always, you can also charge the person asking to use your image. Sometimes people that's called a license. And so sometimes I have bloggers who say, you know, a brand approached me and they want to use my photo and I know it'll give me a lot of exposure, but what should I do? And my recommendation is always, you know, think about whether or not you want to get paid for that. You worked hard to mm. make take that beautiful photograph. Um, and so to do that, you'd essentially be giving that brand or that person who wants to use your image a license to use your copyrighted image. Um, and so it's important that if you're going to be doing that, 
you put that in writing and you make sure you know what rights they get because copyright, when, when you have a copyright to someone, you have something, what I always called and what I learned in law school, they called it the bundle of sticks because you get a whole bunch of rights when you have a copyright in something. Okay. You get the right to reproduce it. You get the right to distribute it. You get the right to do something called make derivative works. That's okay. one that people are always questioned about. Essentially, it's say the Harry Potter books, they were turned into movies, right? That's a derivative work. Gotcha. So you're making a work out of something else. Um, and so you have the right to publicly perform it. There's a whole bunch of rights you get with a copyright. And so when you're letting somebody use your photo, you're just giving them one of those sticks, the right okay. to display it. It doesn't mean that they can take it and then publish it in a book. It doesn't mean that they can change it. So it's really important that when you do give somebody permission, you tell them what they have permission to do. Gotcha. So just be like, can you just be clear about that? Like in an email and say, I give you the permission to use this photo in this one post this one time. Is that like, sure. is that enough? That's enough if you're not charging somebody or, okay. um, you know, typically I, I, I like contracts. I'm a okay. lawyer. Yeah. Um, but you don't need to over contract everything. You certainly can in some instances. Um, an email is sufficient, particularly for a roundup. If, if another blogger says, hey, can I use your image? I want to throw it in a roundup. And you say, yeah, you can use it for these display purposes. Um, a lot of times that's more than enough. Gotcha. But, um, you know, if you are selling your images or if you are selling something, it's really important that you, you know, formally put in writing what you're selling and what the other party gets to use. Now, is that something that you guys do as like a case by case service or do you have one of your templates for that or how does that work with you guys? So we have a lot of times um, it's included as a portion of, say, like the sponsored content contract. Okay. There is an ownership of services portion and we give a lot of different options okay. for more complicated cases where somebody is, say, you know, letting somebody use like a course or that you would want to talk to a lawyer to make sure that you have a, um, an extensive and and a good license that really protects you. So it's kind of on a case by case basis. And when people contact me, if I think a business use form is is going to be sufficient for them, I'll tell them oh, I'm not okay. going to, I would never try and have someone come work with us when I knew I had a form that they could use. Okay, great. Awesome. Okay. Now, why would somebody register a copyright? So when you register a copyright, you get a lot more protections. Um, you get what's called an, uh, an assumption of ownership. Okay. So essentially, if somebody steals that copyright from you, you get the first thing you also get is permit. You are permitted to sue in court. Okay. If you don't have um, that copyright registration, you can't sue in court for the copyright infringement. Okay. Um, and so you essentially get the right to sue. And then you also get this assumption that you actually have a valid copyright, so you don't have to prove it. Okay. So it saves you a lot of time and effort. Gotcha. Um, it's very easy. It's something you can do on your own. You definitely, you typically don't need a lawyer to help you with that. There's okay. forms that you can use, um, but it costs money. So a lot of people, you know, don't do it for everything. They say they frequently pick and choose what they're going to register their copyright for. All right. So... With the idea of copyright, I think something else that people get a little bit confused on is trademarks. So can you explain to us what they are? 
So a trademark is any name that would be associated, say, with a brand or a service or something that you're providing. Um, and so it has to be something that's unique to you, can't be something that somebody else is using. Um, and it has to be something that is you're using what's called in interstate commerce. So I think a lot of people get a little bit confused about um, when they can trademark something. And essentially, if it's a brand name, a name, a logo that you're looking to make money from um, to associate it with a product or a service, you could be eligible for a trademark. You could trademark the name of your blog. Okay. People do it all the time. Um, there's a lot of things that go into whether or not a name can be trademarked. Um, there's a couple of things that you need to think about. The first thing that you need to think about when you're considering a trademark, and this is why it's smart to talk to a lawyer about a trademark. Mm -hmm. It can be really specific and confusing. And I'm, I fix a lot of legal zoom trademark mistakes. Oh, no. Um, yeah. So, the first thing that you need to think about is whether or not you have a trademark that's unique to you and there wouldn't be another trademark out there that people would be confused thinking if, if your name was the same or similar to somebody else's trademark name, you can't trademark that because the trademark office considers that to be, there'd be a likelihood of confusion. Okay. So people would be confused. They wouldn't know where the product or the services were coming from. Gotcha. The other thing that you need to think about is something called descriptiveness. So your name can't just describe what it is that you're doing. So an example that I frequently use is Apple computers. The term Apple is a descriptive name. You couldn't trademark the name Apple to describe apples, <laughs> but because you would never think that a computer or an electronic would be called Apple, that makes it unique. And so that's why it's not descriptive. It's a unique name to describe something. So your name can't just describe what it is that you're doing or the trademark office won't allow you to trademark it. Okay. It's really good to have somebody sort of do that analysis uh -huh. uh, for you so you don't waste your money in registering because once you try to register and if you get rejected, you lose your filing fees. And um, right. so it's, it's good to do that research up front. And then the last thing that I think causes a lot of confusion sometimes is you have to be using the name in interstate commerce. And what that means is you're making money off of that name. It doesn't have to be a lot of money. It can mm -hmm. be ad income on your right. blog, even if it's a small amount. But it has to be across state lines if you want to register it federally, which most people do because they want you know protection across gotcha. the whole U.S. Um, and so a lot of people have started a blog and haven't quite monetized it yet, but think they're going to. And there's ways that you can register before you start to monetize, but at some point you need to have that monetization aspect to the product or service that you want to trademark. So let me ask you this. Can you trademark a um, tagline? You can. Sure. Okay. Do you think it's necessary? It really depends. Um, if it's something that you're afraid people are going to start to use and has truly become synonymous with your brand and it's something that you use on a lot of different things, then yeah, it certainly would be smart. Okay. Um, do you have to, or I guess the right question is, can you have a trademark without actually registering it? So when you use a name and you start to become known by that name, you get what's called common law trademark protection. The same like I talked about with common law copyright protection. Mm -hmm. It's similar. So if you start using that name, you someone can't just start using it out from underneath you. 
but it's limited by the geographic area where you're using it um, and the types of goods and services that you're using it for. Gotcha. That also applies for trademark registration. So the example that I frequently use is Dove Chocolate and Dove Soap. Mm -hmm. They're two different trademarks, but they're two totally different products. So no one would ever think that Dove Chocolate and Dove Soap are the same thing. Okay. Um, and so you have to pick and choose. It's called a class what class you want to register your trademark in. And so your common law trademark protection is similar. You get some limited protection, but you can't sue in court. You don't have that automatic assumption um, that you have a valid trademark. Um, there's a lot of benefits to registering. Okay. And so like when people go through using a lawyer to register the trademark, what kind of legwork do you guys do to make that work? And I know you guys offer that as a service, right? We do. Um, so what we do is we start with a lot of research. We research everywhere. Um, we research the trademark office, their database. We, we go through all the sort of common law databases. We go through um, websites. We go through company names. We do this extensive research to make sure that there is nothing out there that could cause a likelihood of confusion. We do a distinctiveness analysis to make sure that we think that you can register. And obviously, you can't ever guarantee it. You don't know what the trademark right, office is going right. to do. But we've been doing it long enough that we sort of have a feel for when something will or will not be. And then we do the commerce analysis to make sure that you have that interstate commerce. Then we pull the application together. We craft the class, which is challenging. It's You got to make sure you get that right. Mm -hmm. And then we put it together and we do the application for you. And then we monitor it because it's a very long process. You wait a long time um, through that whole process. And so we monitor it and through each phase. And if there's, say, the trademark office has questions or there's an objection by the trademark office, we deal with that. Um, and then once we get into the publication phase, because um, essentially you register your trademark a couple months later, the trademark office, it's assigned, a, a lawyer is assigned to your case. And then the lawyer decides whether it should, it is trademarkable. Mm -hmm. They do the likelihood of just um, the likelihood of confusion analysis. And then they do the distinctiveness analysis. If they decide it's trademarkable, then it goes on to publication, which essentially means it's published in the trademarks newspaper for a month and the public can object. Okay. If the public objects, that's when things start to get a little bit hairy um, and we can handle those objections for you. Um, they can get complicated and time consuming. Once it gets through that, then you're registered. So we monitor that whole process for you. Okay. So it sounds like it's probably better overall to get help with that because it sounds like it's kind of a complicated <laughs> system in general. So, but thank you for clarifying that because I think that kind of gives people a better understanding of trademarks. One other area I think that people struggle with is understanding like having a website privacy policy and like why that's important. So can you explain like what that is and why people need to have one? So anybody who has a website and you collect information from your users, the people coming to your website, say a mailing list, or if someone's buying something for you, the state of California has a law that requires a privacy policy. And so because you don't know where your users are coming from, everybody just has to have one. Gotcha. And essentially all that does is it just tells the world what you're doing with their information, um, how you collect it, what you do with it. Do you sell it? Do you have other 
third party apps that use it. Um, like if you use Acuity, for example, to do scheduling, that mm-hmm. app is taking information from people. Um, so you need to tell your users, hey, you're giving Acuity information about yourself. Um, and you're just sort of telling people what to do if they want their information taken out of your database. Um, you want to put something up there that says that anyone under the age of 13 cannot um, put their information in because it's that's illegal, not allowed. Okay. And a, anyone between 13 and 18 has to get parental permission. There's all kinds of important parts of a privacy policy just to make sure that people essentially know what you're doing with their information. Are there cookies? Um, is, are you using pixels? Um, do you have an ad, uh, you know, an ad network that you're using? I frequently put, um, information about FTC disclosures, affiliate links, just because you should, well, I think most people who are blogging know that you need to have it in your post as well. I also like to just put it in the privacy policy. So we have it in more than one place. I know that like my privacy policy on my website was a template that I got from you guys because I had tried to like compose my own, but I wasn't sure that I'd really covered all my bases. So I went with the one you guys have. um, But, you know, I also know that as I work with other places, I kind of need to understand um, stuff. And one of the things I I find oftentimes is people are not reading the terms and conditions associated with the things they sign up for. (laughs) Like they don't. And people kind of joke with me that I'm an extreme rule follower, but, (laughs) um, (laughs) but I also like those terms and conditions often tell you stuff that you might not otherwise realize or know or understand, like, especially with Amazon, like, uh, Amazon associates. Like, I think people don't realize that Amazon has some really specific wording associated with what they want you to say in order to be an associate with them. Is that right? That is a hundred percent right there. Amazon is a great example of that. Um, if you use Google AdSense as another example, um, there are ad networks that have very specific language you must include in your privacy policy if you're using them. Um, and they're doing that because that's their laws and regulations that they need to follow. Um, so it is incredibly important that you pay attention to that stuff. You're absolutely right. And it's usually outlined within the terms and conditions. Like it will say like, you know, something about, you know, you need to represent or put this information into your privacy Mm -hmm. policy. I know terms and conditions sometimes can be super confusing for people. Like it's such a pain sometimes because you're Mm -hmm. just like, I don't know. Why can't they put this in like plain English? (laughs) But And I think too, in blogging, a lot of times you hear about things by word of mouth, right? Like Mm -hmm. you didn't know anything about it. And then you see somebody on Facebook talking about it and you panic and you're like, oh crap. Like (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that I was supposed to do this, you know, and, and just kind of getting over that. Thing. That's why, again, like I feel like I always encourage people um, to follow you guys in particular because you have an I know that you have email uh, newsletters that go out um, even in like my intro drip series of my emails sequences to bloggers. Like I tell them, like, please be sure that you follow um, businesses. I was like, because they are going to tell you what is going on. Like, <laughs> well, you. you know, um, I feel like you guys make it a priority to kind of keep people. I mean, and I'm hoping this is true, but uh, from what I've read, like, mm-hmm. I feel like you guys try to keep people like in touch with what's going on in the blogging world in the legal realm. We're trying to make it accessible because yeah. it can feel overwhelming and it can feel scary. And we just try to put it into plain language yeah. so that you can sort of say, oh, that's an issue. I maybe need a little bit more information. I need to research that. So right. we try to give those bits and pieces so that they're not that overwhelming. But yeah, so that people sort of know how to protect themselves and their businesses. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk now about disclosures because we kind of mentioned that 
you know, with our privacy policy conversation, what are they and why are they necessary? So the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, um, basically is concerned about consumers. That's the best way to sort of think about it. They want to make sure that consumers understand when something is being written about that it's been paid for in some way or there's been some kind of compensation so that consumers can make an adequate assessment about what is being written. Um, so the language that the FTC likes to use is clear and conspicuous, um, and that's for disclosures for paid content or any kind of content that you've received some kind of compensation for. And so what that means is you just need to make sure that your reader understands if you're writing a sponsored post or if you have a sponsored Instagram post or you received product, something, um, so that your reader doesn't think that you're just kind of sort of saying these amazing things solely out of the kindness of your heart. And if you are, um, that's okay. <laughs> totally, for sure. It's great. And if nobody's paid you for it and you just happen to love a product, you don't need to say anything. It's it's sort of assumed. And I think that um, that's why what the FTC is most concerned about. And so what you need to do is you need to have your disclosures up front, top of your blog post, you can do them in plain language. They can be weaved in naturally into the language. You just need to make sure. I call it my mom test. Mm -hmm. My mom is 70 and she has a flip phone and she's <laughs> not technologically savvy. <laughs> so if my mom can read your blog post and be like, oh, yeah, that blogger got paid, then you've you've passed the test. Okay. Um, and you can do it in a clever way. You don't have to be like giant, you know, this is an ad. This was paid for. It doesn't okay. have to be quite that. Um, but it's important that before there's any link that takes a person out of the web, out of the page, out of your blog to another site, that the disclosure appears first. Okay. Because you don't want them to go to the, you think that they're, they're going to go all the way to the bottom, which not a lot of people do. And right. then they've clicked out and they don't know. Right. So that's important. And that's specifically for sponsored content. So at the very mm -hmm. beginning of your post saying, hey, this post was sponsored by blah, 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 in clear language so they understand. Now let's mm -hmm. talk about disclosures associated with affiliate links. Sure. It's the same. Um, you essentially just need to say that this post contains affiliate links. You can put affiliate link in parentheses. You just People just need to know that there, there are affiliate links. Um, you can't just have a generic one on a different page. If your post has affiliate links, you need to be clear about that to your reader. Okay. And I know there's a little bit, you may not be able to answer this question, but there's a little bit of confusion. Like, I mean, if I put it at the very top of every one of my posts where it says, you know, this post has affiliate links or whatever, is that enough? Or do I need to go through and actually write like affiliate link beside every single affiliate link in my post? I think that um, if you put this post may contain affiliate links in front of every single post that you have and not all your posts have affiliate links, that could be a little confusing. Okay. So I think I'd probably be a little bit clearer than that. Okay. Um, doesn't necessarily mean you have to put affiliate link. Um, but maybe if you have a post that doesn't have affiliate links, take that out because you don't need it there. Right. Um, gotcha. So I think that is an area where people get a little bit confused, you know, or whatever. And this also applies to also to social media shares. Like they should be disclosing in a social media share that's been paid, like hashtag ad, hashtag sponsored, or has any of that information changed recently? 
The biggest thing that's sort of come up is you can't bury your hashtag in about 30 other hashtags. So you can't have like hashtag, you know, I love my kids, hashtag a million hashtags. And then like in the middle, (laughs) drop in hashtag ad. It has to be much clearer than that. And it has to appear at the top. You can't do the dot, 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 and then all the hashtags. So it's, you just have to be a little bit more careful. Don't don't bury it. Just right. be so upfront like, about it. For me, like right before, like I don't usually put a lot of hashtags at the front of my stuff. I usually put like hashtag add the link and then the rest of my hashtags. That's right. Um, because I feel like that at least is clear right before they would be clicking to the thing with which that was paid for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um. Okay. And on the same note, let's talk about also, can we talk about Um, affiliate links that you've placed inside of an email Um, and you know like do you need to put at the top of your email like this you know what I mean like how do you navigate an email I usually typically weave it into the the text of the email I just find that those are the least people seem to just feel best about those for some reason okay um but as long as you weave it in there and it's sort of in there that there are affiliate links in there you're fine you just clear (laughs) yeah you just need to be just upfront and honest and some people may not like it um but then you know if you're not comfortable with telling people you're using affiliate links then you may not want to use them right that's a good point (laughs) yeah okay so and i just want to throw this out there because i've seen it on many forums and Facebook groups and stuff like that, where people are confused about about nofollow links. They think that nofollow links is also an FTC thing. That's an SEO thing. Okay, so the FTC is not going to come get them if they don't use nofollow links, right? <laughs> no, but I think Google might. <laughs> yeah, so uh, nofollow links, just to clarify, are not a legal thing. They are a Google search engine robot thing. So that's all I'm going to say about that in this episode. So I really appreciate your time. I think that was everything that we wanted to discuss, Jamie. Do you have anything else you'd like to share or give us some more information about how people can find your forms and things like that? Sure. So um, thank you for having me. I I always love chatting with you. Um, You can reach me. You can email me at Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at hashtag-legal.com. My website's the same, hashtag-legal.com. Um, and businesses is business, B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S-E-S-E.com. And we also have a private Facebook group called the Businesses HQ, where we talk about all these issues. People post questions. Um, we also have an amazing accountant who gives, um, who answers tax questions. That's Ooh. also, yes. I didn't know about one. this group. How did I not know oh, about this? I'm totally Yeah, join the Businesses HQ. It's fun. So oh, we talk man. about all these issues and questions and you can post questions and we happily answer them. So awesome. that's another great place to find us too. Yeah, so uh, this is why I love this. Like, I love finding new sources of information because, you know, not every person can be all things to all people. (laughs) So when you find somebody who knows what they're talking about, especially in the blogging realm when it comes to legal issues, and then also, like, that they have the ability to offer you, like, accounting um, answers as well, like, that's a big deal. So, yeah, you guys should definitely go check them out. I would really encourage you to join their email list because that's how I kind of stay on top of, like, regular things that are going on. Plus, join that Facebook group because it sounds like there might be some of the questions that you have on a regular basis answered in that group. And you um, can always ask them, too. There you go. <laughs> yeah. See? Awesome. Well, thank you, Jamie, so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Kim. 
Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Just Keep Blogging podcast. I really enjoyed talking with Jamie. If you guys want to get some detailed links and stuff to the stuff that I mentioned today, especially some of the forms that you might be looking for, I'd love for you to go to kimandersonconsulting.com forward slash legal, kimandersonconsulting.com forward slash legal. And I'll have some affiliate links and things like that showing you guys where you can find some of those more specific forms that we talked about in this episode and make sure that you guys um, follow Jamie and get all that information so that you can be in the know regularly about what's going on on the legal side of blogging. Thanks. Hope you have a great day. Whatever you do, just keep blogging.